Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain! And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini! Welcome back. Episode two. We made it to episode two of Top of the Food Chain. Hell yeah. Damn. Who thought they would ever have me back? I, I wasn't certain about it. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate the vote of confidence. I am your host, Al Mancini, the guy whose job is to basically change the way that you think about fine dining. And I think if you just catch a glimpse of me, probably you already have had your opinion changed. Anyway, we are here at Top of the Food Chain. We would love questions from everybody out there watching. So if you have a chance, email any questions you have about food, anything you want to know. Fine dining, crappy dining, I don't care. Just ask me. Shoot it over to food at vegasvideonetwork.com. In the meantime, if you're watching this thing live, I highly encourage you to take advantage of the chat room and shoot us any kind of question you want. The dirtier and funnier, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But um, I'm not going to push you on that one. Anyway, we archive all of these babies on iTunes. So if you want to check out last week, if you missed it, we were talking about stinky cheese, wine, things like that. It was pretty cool. Go check it out at iTunes. OK, in the meantime, I just want to remind you, we've got, you know, we're going to be talking about booze here today, as you might be able to check out from my spread. Um, but I want to recommend we have some other good folks here at the station that do, a, do booze shows, one called Pub Crawl, and a lot of other great shows. So check out everything here at VegasVideoNetwork.com. Okay, in the meantime, let's kick off today's show. For our first segment today, um, you know, I write about food probably about between four and maybe eight times a week and constantly writing articles. If you're a writer, one thing that you guys may not know is you're always, always under constraint to keep it short. An editor always wants you to shrink down what you're writing. A, they have to pay you by the word, so they don't like it to go too many words. And B, we tend to ramble on because we're getting paid by the word. So what usually happens is I'll write a piece, it'll be 1,000 words, and I'll pick it up and it'll be 700 words because my editor realized I was rambling. But I figure right now I get to ramble all I want. I've got my own forum for the rambling. So I've got a new feature. It's called Down for the Word Count. It's about features that I've written in the past week that went a little long when I originally wrote them. And I figured I'd tell you what I put in. Okay, this one, 10 becomes 7, I call it, because I was asked by my editor to come up with 10 great off-strip meals. And I did that, and I sent it in, and it apparently went a little long. And when I checked it out at citiesbest.com just a few days ago on the 17th, it had gone down to seven. So I figured we'd go over some of the places that didn't make the list. They made my list, didn't make my editor's list. Um, we have Todd's Unique Dining. I want to give those guys a plug. They're over in Green Valley. One of the best, absolutely, in my opinion, the best east side fine dining place in a neighborhood that you're going to find. Um, great stuff. I recommend the goat cheese wontons, as a matter of fact, if you eat over there. Sen of Japan, here on the west side. And um, I say here, I'm actually on the strip, but I live near the west side. Anyway, Sen of Japan, great place. I like to refer to it as Nobu at half the price. Um, the chef hero came from Nobu. Incredible chef, does a lot of really, really good um, Japanese fusion, the same stuff you'll find at Nobu. But you're getting it at about half the cost. So I'm going to give those guys a shout out. And Los Antojos, I was just asked today, where do you get quality, authentic Mexican here in town? And there's not a lot of it, but Los Antojos, 
which is over on um, Eastern Avenue, just off Sahara. Tiny, tiny little Mexican joint. Usually a bunch of people from Mexico City lined up out the door. Um, not a very fancy joint, but the Mexican food there is great. So that's the stuff that got cut because of word count issues this week. Another thing I wanted to mention is if you check out today's issue of City Life, I review Hotel California. It's a new place over in Boca Park. Pretty good restaurant. It's in a cursed little space. Same place that used to be Trey. After that, it was Hannah's. After that, it was, I think, called Seastone. Place never really took off under those people, but it is now Hotel California. You can read about the food in City Life. It's out today. But one thing I didn't mention is the Mezcal program over there, probably one of the more ambitious ones going on here in town. I think right now they've got 17 to 20 types of Mezcal. Mezcal, by the way, if I know you all think it's pretty much tequila, but with a worm in the bottle. Not exactly true. Um, it comes from a different area of Mexico. They use different types of agave to brew it. Um, it's only distilled once instead of being distilled two to three times. It's aged a little differently. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. You can have many of those waking up in a gutter mornings after um, hanging out on Mezcal. I don't want to say that anyone in my family has had that experience, but uh, there was an incident in the streets of Brooklyn once on Atlantic Avenue. Sue, my wife's probably preferring I didn't tell that story. Anyway, um, I'm going to be in trouble for that one. <laughs> anyway, those are a few of the things that I did not, that did not make my show, or excuse me, did not make my articles this week, so I figured I'd fill you in on that. Right now, we're going to take a quick station break. We're going to come back and talk about sake, serious sake, not the hot stuff you throw back with your friends. We're going to talk about real sake right after this break. Hi, this is Scott Pritchard from Let's Bet. You're watching the Vegas Video Network. It's VegasVideoNetwork.com. You're not using this one, right? <laughs> Don't you dare use this one. <laughs> Somebody said, where's the break? The break is over, people. Now we get to talk about sake. Um, I know anybody that digs Japanese food, you go out and you probably, if you go out with a bunch of your friends, you probably had those nights where you keep ordering hot sakes, you throw the things back, shot after shot after shot, and um, again, could be one of those things like Moscow we were just talking about. Um, that's a lot of fun. I got no problem with hanging out with friends, doing hot sake. It can be a blast. But there's good sake out there. And when you're in a fine restaurant, it can be intimidating. People come over and they talk to you about all these different types of sake. It's expensive as hell. You get a little nervous about it. So um, I want to make sure that my sake bottle's moving over there. <laughs> Did you just see that? That was great. Don't put it too close to the edge. Those things are expensive. Anyway, fine sake. Um, it can be intimidating. I'm fortunate enough here tonight to have with me Tiffany Soto, a good friend, the woman who taught me about sake, a master sake sommelier, certified in Japan, woman who spends more time in Japan than I spend in restaurants and bars here in America. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for so having me. It's great to have you. I appreciate it. It's so cool to have you here. Um, it, you know, you, you taught me a lot about sake. You when, remembered it? No, that's what I'm going to say. No, I don't <laughs> think I remembered it. I've got graphics. I've got notes. I've got all kinds of stuff. I wanted to tell people about sake, but I'm like, you know, I probably screwed it up. I mean, Tiffany taught me a lot, and why don't we have her back to tell me what I'm getting wrong Perfect. when I think about sake? So Let's hope I can clear it up for them. And 
yeah. whatever needs a little refreshing for you. Refresher course refresher in mind. Course for you. I mean, you've worked at a lot of great restaurants here yeah. in town. Had a great sake program over at Hachi. Mm -hmm. um, you were at Sushi Samba for a yep. while. At Win um, for a while. When yeah, I mean, when people need ass-kicking sake programs, they call you. That's true. So. Um, so this is the lady to chat with when you want to learn the very basics about sake, and then when you want to learn the advanced stuff about sake, and then when you want to learn the super advanced stuff, you pretty you much know it all, right? Japan. Go with you to Japan. Yeah. We're going to auction that off at a charity auction sometime soon. Okay. That yeah. would be a blast. Um, anyway, let's start with the real basics. A lot of people think, and I know a lot of people out there are probably saying, oh, I know what sake is. It's rice wine. Wrong, right? Wrong. 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 Not yeah, rice absolutely. wine. Um, it's closer to beer, right? It's closer to beer. It's kind of a cross between the two. It's brewed. It's brewed. It's never um, fermented like wine is fermented. But there are um, companies that are actually pandering to Americans now, even from Japan, calling them rice wine on their labels, <laughs> which is not helping my cause at all. So when you say, no, it's not rice wine, it's people not basically rice wine. say, no, look, it's on the, it's yeah, it's on the label. Nope. But, it's brewed okay. like beer. Brewed like beer. Yeah. And of course, it does come from rice. It comes from rice. And it comes from the good inside part of the rice, right? Or the it's good, supposed to? Yeah, it's called the shimpaku. The shimpaku. There's but a word that's going to impress your friends out there. Shimpaku. Talk about the shimpaku. Um, it's not any kind of rice, though. There are about 100 varietals of rice that are certified for brewing sake. Okay. Um, there's over 400 varieties of rice available in Japan, but only 100 of them can be used to make sake. So okay. only special sake. Sake rice. And then you want to get down to that shimpaku, which shimpaku. is just so much damn fun to say. Shimpaku. Um, you want to get down. Now, we always hear about the milling process. And that basically means out there, means they take off the crappy outside layer of the rice. Mm -hmm. And you get to the good inside stuff, which is higher in starch. Am I right? It's, uh, it's, it's air, starch. It gets rid of all the fatty amino acids that aren't necessary, that don't really contribute much to the flavor that are on the outside. And okay. it gets right down to the air and the so starch. So if people get rid of the outside layer, how does that happen? I don't think you ever explained what milling is, what oh. they do, how they mill this stuff. Well, you have these guys that have these little tiny files and these little tiny grains of rice. And <laughs> yeah, and one, one grain of rice at a time. <laughs> and that pays minimum wage in Japan. So yeah, if you're thinking of moving low. to Japan to teach English like all my friends did, that's what you'll end up doing, filing down rice. There's actually um, about five different methods. Some are very, very advanced where you have these huge milling machines and these giant factories. And there's a, an upper chamber for rice and a lower chamber for rice. And these stones that rotate in reverse like uh, double helixes. And the rice goes in there, and it, it grinds down to a certain point, and then the machine stops when it feels like the rice is the right size. That is a very mass-produced way of doing it. Okay. Um, then there are smaller milling machines where there are actually, and I've been to 300-year-old breweries in the hills of Japan, where what you end up finding is um, you get these old men that literally will sit there with a stethoscope and put it up to a machine that is rolling around and rolling around and rolling around. And they can actually hear when the rice is milled the percentage they want. Wow. And that's, that's, that's a significantly smaller production. Listening to the rice talk to Listening you. to the rice talk are, to them. I'm exactly. curious, they all have to be old men? Uh, they don't have to be, but they are. They are? They absolutely they're, they're are. All... It's definitely a man's world. I'm outnumbered about 900 to 1 in my field in Japan. Wow. And they have to be old, though, before they get uh, the stethoscope? To do that, they are. The younger ones all want new, new, more technology, more technology. But the old, when, you, when you see that older, more traditional style, it's always old men, everyone I've ever encountered anyway. Okay, it looks like we've got a question from the chat room, which is always cool to know that somebody's actually watching. Scott, <laughs> are you just making these up or people I, listening and watching? I am not. This is from Bob. Uh, Bob wants to know, and you kind of alluded to this, should sake be served hot or chilled? And once the bottle is opened, how long will it last? Awesome, awesome question. 
Um, most people think that sake should be drank hot because that's what they get when they go to all-you-can-eat sushi bars or wherever. That's not actually sake. That's sake with a bunch of stuff added to it. So what you end up getting is sake mixed with moonshine and Everclear and <laughs> a really bad hangover the next day. And I also remember if you told, if I remember correctly, what you told me is a lot of that outside of the rice, the stuff they mill off, is what distilled. they shove in there so you people can drink it hot. They distill it and your... shove it in there and raise the alcohol content, and then yeah. they heat it and uh, cooks off some of the alcohol. So, no, good sake, premium sake is anything that comes in a pretty bottle and says premium sake generally should be served cold. But there's exceptions. You can gently warm a sake um, if it's the right type that's intended to be drank that way. And um, after you open a bottle of sake, it actually goes a lot further than a bottle of wine does because you can keep it for up to two weeks in the refrigerator. Just likes to be in the dark and in the cold, wow. and it's happy. Cool. And you know, I always like to tell people, and this may not be exactly 100% accurate, but it's sort of, it's like when Americans drink beer. We have pretty crappy beer here in America, so we chill it down yeah. so we don't have to taste it. And it's yeah. kind of the opposite with sake. You know, in Europe they have good beer, so they drink it at room temperature. But yeah. With sake, it's sort of the opposite. It's that you want it chilled when it's good mm -hmm. so you can taste it. And when it sucks, you, you kind of just want so to throw it back to, really hot yeah, and you don't exactly. get any taste out of it, right? So that's what you people are that's drinking. That's pretty out accurate, there. yeah. Cool. So, um, oh, wow, another chat room question. We actually have two more chat room questions. Right. The first one is from David. David wants to know what kind of meat goes best with sake, and is there a seafood sake versus a meat sake? Yeah, um, there, are, there are about 18,000 sakes, <laughs> <laughs> so I can throw a few out there. What I can tell you uh, for some basic pairing suggestions is that if you're going with a meat that's more delicate, like a fish or a chicken, then you're going to want a sake that's cleaner with less, um, less sweetness or less fattiness to it, less mouthfeel. So you'd want something from either Akita or Niigata. Um, those are regions. Actually, everything we have here today is n n um, from Akita or Niigata. And um, those are going to go with lighter styles of food. But if you have something bigger like, like steak or pork or duck or something even oily or stewed, you're going to want something sweeter, rounder, and with more acidity, something from the southern part of the country is going to pair better. And if you have spicy food, no matter what kind of meat it is, you want a Yamahai or a Kimoto sake to pair with it, which we also have an example of. Okay, and did you have one more, Scott? We do. Uh, irrelevant Words huh. wants to know, what's the deal with very cloudy looking sake? Ah, I know this word, right? Is it, is it a, a higher quality or a completely is it different what? species? Is Nagori the word Nagori for those cloudy? Yes, look at that. I remembered Nagori something. Nagori is the word he remembered something. Okay, Nagori, yeah, yeah. what is the deal? Is it higher quality? Um, That's a trick question. They do make a Daiginjo level Nagori, which is the highest level of sake, by the way. And Daiginjo. we're going to go through that yes. in just a second. Um, they do make a high level um, quality of sake in Nagori. The problem with Nagori is that um, it's full of rice. They leave rice in. It's called loosely filtered or roughly filtered. So they leave some of the rice in instead of filtering it out when they finish the brewing process. And what that does is it leaves uh, a little bit more flavor, sometimes a little more lactic quality or a little more acidity, but also sometimes you're going to get, well, not sometimes, all the time, a lot more calories. And I mean a lot more. So while I like Nagori sakes for cocktails, and I like them if you're having appetizers or dessert only, um, you never really want to order a Nagori sake with food. And a lot of Americans have a misconception about that because all you can eat sushi bars recommend them with food because they fill you up so you quit ordering their sushi. Ah, tricky. Um, but tricky, you don't want to order it when you're having dinner because you get really, really tired, really, really full. You quit eating, you quit drinking, and you want to go home and go to bed. 
Okay. Now you just we spoke a little bit about the different types of sake, and I, yes. I wanted to pull up. I got a graphic again. Once again, you got to tell me if this is right. Graphic. I did a graphic for you. you I can't talking. wait. The types of sake and the quality of sake is based on how much of that outside rice was milled off, right? And yes. what we've got here is we have Hanjozos or Jumais. I, I wrote this out at home, real freehand. Scott impressed. put it in the computer. I was very happy. Yes. Um, that means they got to take off at least 30% of the crap in order for it to get that designation. Better yet is a Ginjo, where they have to take off at least 40% of the outside. And then the highest is a Dai Ginjo, where they have to take off 50%. Do I have my numbers and my words right? You're 85% right. Okay. What did I screw? Well, you know, that's a B. That is a B. I mean, that's a B. Man. They in say college, C's get degrees, so you're doing yeah, great. In college, man, I would have just, you know, went back to the dorm room and popped open a sake to celebrate. Um, for a sake to be called a Junmai or a Hanjozo, typically they do take off 30%. Mm -hmm. It's not required. Okay. It's not required. Um, the only thing that's required to call a Hanjozo Hanjozo is to not add more than 3% of alcohol back into it. Okay. Um, so it's close. It's really okay. close. But and the other two were absolutely right. Cool. And now Jumai, that word, you'll also see it paired with the other words, the Ginjo and the Dai Ginjo. Now, the, we're going to test me again. As I understand it, sometimes they add extra alcohol back in. Other times they don't. If they don't, it's called a Jumai. If they don't, it's called a Jumai. So if it's pure, the rice, fermented rice. But if they do, it's not always called a Hanjozo. No. But it just means it, it's not a Jumai. It's not a Jumai. Yeah. But a Jumai in the 30% level it's just called a Jumai. Yeah. When you get into a Ginjo level, if it has alcohol added, it's just a Ginjo. If it doesn't have alcohol, it's a Ginjo Jumai. Jumai right? Ginjo, they, yes. They, Jumai Ginjo. So they just tack that word Jumai onto the other thing. Do you want me to go through my seven important words you need to know to drink sake? Absolutely. It gives people the rundown. It makes it really, sure. really easy. Okay. Words you need to know to drink sake. Hanjozo. Hanjozo means that it does not, it, okay, every sake is made out of four ingredients. Rice water, yeast, and a mold called koji. And everybody says mold, oh my god. But that's what makes Riesling sweet, and that's what make blue, makes blue cheese yummy. So it's not as scary as it sounds. It's rice, water, yeast, and a mold called koji. Now, in some circumstances, they add a fifth ingredient, a little bit of distilled rice spirit back into it. That's from the outside of the rice they take off. They distill it and add it back in. So junmai is word number one. Junmai means that it's only four ingredients, rice, water, yeast, and koji. Nothing else. So junmai is four ingredients. It means pure. You can pair it with any of the other words, and it works. Uh, hanjozo means they add less than 3% of that alcohol back into it. So when you have hanjozo, it's got four ingredients plus a little tiny bit of alcohol. But that doesn't increase the alcohol content because it's diluted back down. It increase, usually increases the aromatic profile okay. a little bit. It's not a scary word at all. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It just means it's different. Ginjo is the second highest quality level for sake. It means that they have milled off 40% of the outside of the rice. Now, typically, you're going to see it more like 50%. They never do just the bare minimum in Japan. So even if they have milled it off 40, they probably wouldn't call it a ginjo till around 50%. Dai ginjo is technically the highest quality level for sake. Dai ginjo means they've milled off at least 50%, but typically, you're going to see that closer to 60%, at least 55%. Um, and every time you take off a little more, you get something that's cleaner and more elegant. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, that makes a big difference. Then we have nigori, which is roughly or loosely filtered sake. That's okay, now you're going to do another one. I want to quiz me, see if I know this next one. Genshu. Oh, yes, I know this. And there's a good reason I know Genshu. It means it's got a higher alcohol content. <laughs> it gets you messed up a lot faster, right? Yes. Yeah, man, I know that. Yes. <laughs> 
Genshu means that it, uh, they did not dilute it down from a naturally occurring 18 to 21%. They're usually diluted down to 15.5%, which is the same as California red wine. So for those of you that are wondering if it's really, really alcoholic, about the same as the California Zin for most sake. But Genshu is a little more alcoholic, about 18 to 21%. Um, Nama. Nama zakes. No, no clue. Come on. Gone. I'm gone. Nama. Okay. No. Namas. Well, most namas are also genshu sakes. Okay. They can all be mixed up, but nama zakes are unpasteurized sakes. You can only <sighs> get them freshest uh, in the spring each year. And nama zakes are going to be brighter, fruitier, more acidic for all my Sauvignon Blanc and Riesling drinkers out there. Namas are your sake okay. for sure. And there's another word for filtered sakes that's not necessarily the cloudy ones, right? Uh, for unfiltered, excuse me. For, for unfiltered? Yeah. Nigori? Now, other than Nagori, isn't there another type of unfiltered sake? Uh-uh. No? Okay. Mm -mm. Right. See, I got that wrong. I'm still um, not doing bad. I'm wait, still doing really good. I'm doing you're doing okay. Good. Um, we could do Yamaha or Kimoto. Are those the words you're thinking of? No, I'm not sure. Yamaha and Kimoto sake is an ancient brewing style of sake where they don't have any human intervention. It takes twice as long to brew the sake because they let all the yeast fall in naturally. Um, in a Yamaha and in a Kimoto, they take a big wooden pole and they hit it. And that's it. That's all they do. Nothing else. No temperature controls, no nothing. And so they take twice as long to make. Uh, twice as much flavor profile, very big round ones. And that's why they work with uh, spicy food is because they um, can sort of work with the spice versus accentuating the spice. And I, I have to swear to people out there, you know, the reason I do the show is not to give you a graduate course, although Tiffany could easily give you a graduate course, but it's to make you a little less afraid of these things. Yeah. You drop a couple of these words in front of you, you don't have to know what Tiffany knows. You know uh -huh. even the little bit that I know, and you drop that word in front of your boss or some chick that you're out with and you're trying to impress. Yeah. It blows them away. They're like, wow, they if, know their stuff. If you remember the word ginjo, you'll be okay. Because ginjo's in dai ginjo, and ginjo means that you're not going to order the cheap stuff. It means you're not going to order the most expensive stuff. So if you can say the word ginjo, you're probably going to come out all right. All right. And I did want to talk about price range. Yeah. They, they go price range that way. What should someone expect to spend for a bottle, and how large a bottle of a jumai, a ginjo, and a dai ginjo? We have multiple bottle sizes. We have, they start as low as 180 milliliter tiny bottles, 300 milliliters, 500 milliliters, 720 milliliters. Um, but sake, unlike wine, you could have a, a bottle of wine that costs $12 and it could be an amazing bottle of wine. And you could have a bottle of wine that costs $180 and you might not care for it at all. With sake, you're not gonna run that risk. Um, with the levels, because they have to go through so many different pathways, out of the country of Japan, so many different trials they have to go through to be allowed to represent the country. Um, with each quality level, you're going to get something that's your money's worth. So what you'll notice is from Junmai or Hanjozo to Ginjo, you'll notice a step up in price. For a 720 milliliter Junmai, you can get a great bottle in a restaurant for 35 to 45 dollars. Okay, and a 720 milliliter will pour you at least 10, 10 three ounce pours. Okay. Um, when you go from Junmai to Ginjo, you're looking at anywhere from 40 all the way up to like $80. And you're gonna notice that step up in quality. It's gonna be very, very apparent. And when you go from Ginjo to Dai Ginjo, you're gonna get again a noticeable step up in, in quality with that, but also a step up in price. And you're gonna see because there's so much more labor intensive to make that sake because they're handmade at that point. There's no machine intervention, it's all handmade. Um, so you're gonna see anywhere from at the low end, something mass-produced like Wakatake, you're going to get at maybe $80 for $720. And then you're going to have a super Daiginjo that they produce maybe 30 cases a year of for the whole world at $1,200. 
The median, you're going to find, I think you can get a great bottle around $90, $95. Okay. Um, looks like we have another question out there. Scott? We do. <clears throat> this is a, a loaded question, I think. Heidi wants to know what Tiffany's thoughts are on sake bombs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you really couldn't oh. guess that one, Heidi, huh? Okay. And then why don't we also ask her about carbonated sake? Actually, Other... Heidi says, uh, is it an abomination? <laughs> yes, that's a really good way to put it. I have rules um, when I'm in restaurants doing classes for people. I say that I only have a few rules. It's cold, not hot. Sipped, not shot, and if you drop it in a beer, I'll call security. <laughs> nice. We, right. don't, we don't make mimosas with Cristal in my restaurants, and we don't make sake bombs out of premium sake. Can I stop you? No, but I won't be hanging out. <laughs> um, do you feel equally horrified by the carbonated sake? So there's so many bachelorette parties out there, and you know who uh, you are, ladies, that yeah, they love so um, much. You know, they, it is always the bachelorette parties, too. I don't mean to stereotype, but that's exactly mm. who it is. Um, some carbonated, there are a few, not carbonated, they're sparkling sakes that just like champagne go through a secondary fermentation in the bottle. Um, some of them are real sake, most of them are not. Most of them have a bunch of sugar or fruit added into them and then they're allowed to ferment a little tiny bit but their alcohol content is like 6 or 7%. To be legally called sake, um, it has to be 12%. And we do have a couple Daiginjo sparkling sakes out there, like Akunamatsu uh, Formula Nippon, which is um, a sparkling sake that's actually created specially by hand every single year for the winner of the Formula One race in Japan. And they spray it all over him, and that's what they <laughs> used to celebrate. And we do get bottles of it here. It tends to go for about $300, but that's an amazing sake. And it was made sake. for spraying on people, so that's... No, <laughs> no, just at the race. Well, look, I don't want to um, get it. It's not like I really just want to drink your sake, but... We do have to talk a bit about how you pour it, and I figured if we're going to talk about how you pour it, then you should you might benefit. As well, I might as well benefit, yeah. and we might as well taste a little bit of it as well. And you brought a great, great selection of sakes, and I want you to go through a few of those. But first question, as you pick, pick one to pour, and then I'll ask you the question. Okay. Uh, let's see, is this a daiginjo? We may as well do the highest quality level. Yeah. Highest quality level. I'm awesome. all about that. Okay, so here's a daiginjo. Now. People always ask me, what type of glass should you use for sake? And I always tell them, you can use anything. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You can. You could drink it out of a mason jar, and it would be just fine. Restaurants seem to use just about anything. A lot of restaurants do things for aesthetics. But there are ways to make your sake better by using the right glass. Okay. So we can talk about that. If you're pouring a ginjo sake, I recommend using wine glass. Okay. Everybody has them. You don't have to buy anything special. Um, because ginjos tend to be more aromatic, more acidic. And when you can swirl it in there, it really increases the evaporative surface of the sake and brings out all those aromatics. It's really yummy. So I recommend using this for a ginjo level. Um, for a daiginjo level, you can also use a wine glass. I recommend one with a little bit bigger bowl, maybe something more like this. Or if you want to get really fancy, you can get in uh, Riedel makes a daiginjo tasting glass that they worked with um, master brewers in Japan over the course of 14 years to come up with. It's a Daiginjo tasting glass by Riedel, or my favorite, which you can go to Japan and pick up for yourself if you really, really want. Right, which is probably cost about as much as the airfare to Japan? Uh, maybe. Yeah, these are <laughs> hand-blown glasses that are supposed to be the best sake tasting glass in the world. And um, I, you can't feel it, but it's a about the most delicate glass you'll ever hold. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to break your little glass there. <laughs> it's a fabulous. It's really good, though. You don't want to be um, plowing down a bunch and handling that thing. When we're tasting for competitions, we taste out of something called an ochoco. This is actually from the 2010 Sake No Gene Festival when we were judging over there. This is an ochoco, and there's little blue rings inside of it so you can see any discoloration between the two colors. Is that what those rings mm -hmm. are for? That's what I they're for. Wondered. Well, can I have a little of this in the wine glass? You sure can. 
May I? Sorry, man. My grammar's gone to hell since college. You know what? It's a disaster. I bet it was before college. Eh, there was a brief period where I made it, <laughs> you know, improved it a little while. All right, so pouring sake, the only thing you really need to know is you never, ever, ever pour for yourself. You do not pour for yourself. You always pour for your neighbor. So it's just like pouring a bottle of wine, but you don't pour as much because if it is a little higher in alcohol content, say if you have a Genshu, the aromatics are going to evaporate out a little bit faster. So, uh, and oh, I'm supposed to pour for you? You're supposed to pour for me. Uh, He's no. terrible at this. I taught you nothing. You did teach me this. I'm worried about sp breaking your nice glasses there. Don't break my glass. I'll get mad. Get this one's your glass. I don't care. Oh, okay. Well, glass. then hell. Good. <laughs> Damn, I would have just slapped that thing around. Okay, All right, so, so you're going to want to swirl it just like you would. It. You want to look at it. You want to make sure that the color is light. You don't want any strong discoloration. They'll go from clear like water to like a pale blonde straw color. Mm -hmm. You don't want much darker than that unless it's a very aged sake, which is called koshu. Okay. Cheers. But you swirl it. This one's got a lot of apple, bubble gummy. Okay, usually when people say things like bubble gum, I think they're crazy. I think you're just and you trying smell to it right away, but I can actually you? smell and I could actually taste something very kind of sweet and bubblegummy in there. Yeah, it's the, it's like the I, I describe it as the dust off of bubble gum. Bubble gum dust. Ah, bubble gum dust. Yeah, and um, there's also a lot of um, honeydew in here and some overripe cantaloupe. So wow. it's good. And now what would this bottle set somebody back? This bottle is a 300 milliliter. So while it's the highest quality level for sake, you could probably get this bottle for less than $50. In a restaurant? A, yeah, in a restaurant. Okay. Because it's a 300 milliliter, so it's perfect for two people if you're having sushi. Can you just walk through, just tell people, I don't want you opening any more of your wonderful, expensive sake for me, but it, you know, just tell people a bit about what you have. Should I walk around or lean yeah, over? Can she walk around? Or? Okay, I'll lean over. All right, this is Kirinzan Junmai sake. There's also Kirinzan Junmai Daiginjo sake in the United States. And this is actually my favorite brewer of sake, so I wanted to let them. This is... Um, like I said, all of these are from Akita or Niigata, mm -hmm. which in my opinion are the most drinkable sakes in the world. They are all extremely clean, extremely um, elegant in any range, any, any level. You're gonna get these, because they're from the coldest areas in the country where they have the most snowfall, so they have the cleanest water. Right, I was gonna say that is the real reason, not the soil, but the real reason that different no regions yeah. have different Everything tastes to in do sake with. is it's mm -hmm. all about the taste of the water. Um, this is a Yamahai Ginjo sake, and uh, Horoyoi, Yamahai, Ginjo, and it's a Junmai also. So you can really add these words. You've got Yamahai, good with spicy food, Ginjo, second highest quality level, Junmai, nothing added, right here. And this one you could probably pick up in a restaurant for uh, less than 70. And you got one really pricey one up here that we oh, want to show people. This is um, from Ichishima Brewery, who is a very good friend of mine, uh, Kenji Ichishima. Their brewery... Um, has been in their family for hundreds of years. And this is Guinea Kobe, and it's a competition sake that they bottle in a small production only for competition within the country. And what they had left over, they bottled and sent out, and it was only a couple hundred bottles, really, available. Wow. So this little tiny bottle right here in a restaurant would probably go for close to 200 and up, okay. depending on which vintage it is. Um, we're going to have to wrap up real quick, but okay. I want to ask about buying sake for enjoying it at home. Yes. Because now people know all these words, and yes. they are cool to impress people in restaurants, but you also can use them to pick out something good to drink Absolutely. at home. Absolutely. Um, good recommendation here in town. Where would you go to find good sake? 
You can get a decent sake selection at Whole Foods. Um, the sake selection at Cost Plus World Market is getting a little bit better. And the sake selection is getting a little bit better at Lee's Discount Liquor also. But um, because we live in Nevada and we have liquor reciprocity with about 18 states, you can also buy um, from truesake.com and they'll ship it to you. Okay. And you can get almost like 300 labels from them. Okay, well, I want to thank you for sitting around talking sake with me, trying to refresh my memory, because after, you know, it is your fault, because I forgot a lot of those things because we drank sake when you were teaching him to me. <laughs> and, you know, he not really the best study method in the world. I'm going to forget this show by the end of it. One thing we like to do is um, we like to take some email questions. Okay. Not about sake, but um, okay. some things that people have sent in. Do you mind sticking around and I'm answering here. them with me? Heck yeah. Okay. Um, we've got one from somebody named David. He says, I'm trying to impress my girlfriend with a good steak dinner at home. Any recommendations on preparing a steak at home? Yeah. Yeah? What do you yeah. think? Well, I think that if you buy a, a quality of meat that's worthwhile and you learn how to do the palm test for how to tell whether it's done or not. And explain that, please. The palm test? The palm oh, test. palm test is hard to explain. Okay. So um, you can tell the doneness of your steak at home by feeling different parts of your palm and feeling the meat. And if the meat gives the same as parts of your palm do, that's how you know when it's done the most. So if you have a rare steak, if I'm not mistaken, it's the fattier part of your hand. Okay. It's right here. When you touch the steak, it should be over here, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. And when you get to a medium steak, it should be more like close to your thumb, where it's a little firmer, mm -hmm. but you can still push. And when you get a well-done steak, it's up here, where you can't hardly push at all. So if you can imagine the difference between the insides, like medium rare would be halfway right. between the two, then that's how you can tell when it's done enough. Because say you have a filet, it stays pink for a really long time. It's hard to tell exactly how done it is. And I've got to say, if you're trying to impress your girlfriend at home, you could have a very sexy bit of foreplay there by explaining the palm test. You could. You could. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that definitely helps. Also, I mean, I honestly have to tell people, I think it's really about the quality of the beef. Yeah. And if you're going to your local supermarket, you're not going to get the highest quality beef. I know that's... Whole some, Foods has an aging room. Whole Foods has an aging room. Yeah. Learn whether you like dry or wet aged beef. Definitely try to get aged beef in one way or another, because wet aged will at least make it more tender. Mm -hmm. um, dry aged beef will increase the flavor, mm -hmm. go to someplace like Whole Foods. I also recommend trying to get um, corn-fed, mm -hmm. excuse me, not corn-fed beef, grass-fed beef. Grass-fed beef. Corn-fed beef. Um, a world of difference. And I think we have time for one more. Somebody says, where do you recommend, oh, Jerry, excuse me, where do you recommend going for a good after-dinner drink? And After-dinner you you drinks. I like to go to Double Helix Double at the Venetian because it's on the Strip and they have tons to choose from. They have great cocktails and a really good by-the-glass list. But they also have a really good dessert wine list. Okay. And they have dessert cocktails made with wine, too. So if you're going to finish up and you're anywhere on the Strip, you can kind of get there pretty easily. Okay. And personally, I would say if you are a scotch drinker, I would definitely send you to Craft Steak, an incredible scotch program. Mm -hmm. And if you like cognacs, and if you know even what Armagnacs are, and, or if you don't, I'd Armagnac. send you over to Andre's because they have one of the best cognac and Armagnac programs in town. And it looks like we are about done. People can learn more from you at your website. Why don't you do the coolest sake website out there? It is. It's <laughs> www.sake, the number two, you.com, sake to you.com. And you can send me questions or comments or if you need to choose between sakes, you can send me over and I'll help you out. Great. In the meantime, I've got only one last thing to plug tonight. Anybody that is bored this evening, Taste of a Nation is going on over at the Palms. Yeah. Um, dedicated to ending childhood hunger. Great thing. You can actually bid on the auction at a dinner oh, with damn. me. Yes, my, my co the co-authors of my book, Eating Las Vegas, Max Jacobs and John Curtis, and myself will be taking the winner and a friend out to Joel Robichon for four courses and wine. And if you think that place is a snooty, snobby place, 
you wait till you get these three loudmouths there. So because yeah. we will be the loudest people in the place, and everyone will laugh at you for being with us. If you don't want to do that, we'll be signing copies of the book tonight and trying to raise a little more money. So that's over at the Palms tonight. Highly recommend you guys come out. Thanks so much for coming, Thanks Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Everyone tune in next week. If they let me back for week number three, I hope. Thanks a lot. <laughs>